Welcome to Experiences of Insight. On today's episode, we are joined by Bill Alexi from Fort Worth, Texas. Lee and I were lucky to sit down with Bill and have an honest discussion about lessons learned and what he's been working on. We really hope you enjoy the show. And without further ado, we present Bill Alexi. The Yo. man. Hey. What's up? Sunny Brooklyn. Look at you guys. <laughs> How are you? you? I'm doing nice really to good see things. You. I, nice to see you too, man. Thanks. I represent Fort Worth. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. We should we need to make sure that this gets into the body of what we're going to be talking about. So why don't we we um, transition right into the into the goodness? Tell us about you know where it all began, your background, your childhood. We usually start there. My childhood. Yeah, tell us what's bothering you. Sit, sit on our, our couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us see, about you, anyway. What you want to tell well, us? Well, my dad was an English teacher, and like we were just talking about, I'm from uh, the Lake George Adirondack area of New York, and my dad moved our family down to a small town in New York called Marathon, New York. And nobody really understands that New York is full of rural communities. And those communities can be just as rural as the most rural parts of America. Mm-hmm. And so my dad uh, brought us down to this rural community called Marathon, New York. We lived there because he really wanted to teach uh, English there and give these kids opportunities to learn things that um, they typically wouldn't have in their farming communities. And as you know, if you've been in New York or from New York, even in upstate like Syracuse, New York, for instance, was only an hour away from where we lived. Cornell University is a short hop and drive away from where we live. So you have Cornell University, you have Syracuse University, you have Ithaca College, you have Mohawk Valley Community College, you have, at the time was Munson Williams Proctor Institute, which is now part of Pratt. You have all that art, academia, and rural community all in one place creating this really interesting intersection of people. Um, so I ended up going to college for design. I wanted to, I wanted to become an air force pilot, but when I was 15, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes and my hopes and dreams and all that had to change. And my dad suddenly saw this kid on his hands who, um, was kind of clueless about what he wanted to do. I grew up as this kid who always kind of knew what he wanted to do. And suddenly, I don't know. Uh, I always loved to draw all that. And my grandfather said, Bill, I know you love animation, but if you're really concerned, because I was thinking about going into animation at the time, this was in the mid nineties when animation was pretty hot 2d animation. He's like, you really need to get a trade. It's like, okay. And we had another mutual friend who took me around and said, Bill, I want to show you some designers here locally mm-hmm. in Cortland, New York. And uh, show me some of the work. And um, you just, you just, you just struck a spot with Lee. You could just say that re- reaction. He says Syracuse er- area, but when you say Cortland, or if you said Homer, he would be oh, like, yeah. "Okay, my sister lives I, in Homer." I was born in Cortland. Okay, just to let you know. So when you All said right. that, I it woke me up there. It was very, yeah, it's a small world. Very, very interested. Yeah. You know, Lee, whenever, when we first met, I had a feeling you're from upstate New York, just based on the kind of mannerisms and the way I grew up speaking and knowing the way people speak. It just had that, that vibe to me. So I'm usually Minnesota pretty good light. That sort of thing. Yeah. I call it Minnesota light. Yeah. 
Yeah, when you come to Texas, people are going to ask you from Canada. Like, no, this is a different accent completely. Hey, I'm not from Canada. I'm from upstate New York. I get it all the time. You do code switching well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he took anyway, me around sorry. to uh, different designers, and uh, I really became intrigued, and ended up going to Mohawk Valley Community College, which at the time and still is a great college. It was a two-year college. It had dorms. Um, it had all these talented people who came from like you know the old ad agencies of the 60s and 70s and they would chew on unlit cigars during class and wear big sunglasses and knock you on grade level just because you didn't do your matting correctly you know so it was a really rigorous environment their whole goal was at first year was to get you to quit uh, so it was really rigorous um, and then they had a partnership with Munson Williams Pratt, which is or Munson Williams Proctor, which is now part of Pratt. So I, I did two years of design. I did um, some time at Munson Williams with fine art and all that. And I love that. And I hit the design community right out of college uh, in Utica, New York. And so I got deep into production shops and things like that, and really found myself loving this space of design and production and kind of um, executing design work that was not throwing a problem over the wall for the people responsible for production. And I, I think that's kind of where I found my sweet spot in, in my design work. So in looking at some of your experiences and some of your bio and, you know, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about influences that you had either living or dead um, you know, whether you mentioned some illustration work and I've seen like, if you look at your stuff that is out there or content that's available for you on the internet or web or out there just in general, um, you know, you've done some web design and stuff like that, but also fast forward to where we are now and how people are talking about design. What does design mean to you or how do you talk about that either commercially or with it, with your friends or people that are in the community, what, what exactly, how do you describe design? I see, um, specifically when we're talking about graphic design and, and the type of work that we do, uh, this is where it gets really interesting for me and in user experience um, and engineering principles. We live in an age right now that's, I guess I'll work backwards too to get to your early question about what are some of my influences. Um, where I am now is, we talk a lot about big data and we've talked about long enough now where we're seeing some of the shortcomings of that and some of the potential. Uh, we're seeing a lot of advantages in AI uh, and we also see how a lot of that's been overblown. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, interest in science and even maybe going into bad places of scientism where we put too much emphasis on science. Where I see the type of visual design work that we often do that we're often called creatives and that sort of work and the sort of engineering design principles that get their start in scientific principles. Engineering's design, engineering is often designing with scientific principles first. To me, the type of designer I am, and, and maybe I can speak for guys like ourselves at large, um, it is a much more willingness to experiment and work off of intuition and kind of prove it out without having everything completely formed formulated so when you get into um you know talk like the ibm logo or the early early logo by uh was it paul rand 
Is that right? Who designed the IBM logo? And you get into his books of like, what was it Design from Chaos or his his really great treatise on taking his ideas of chaos, organizing them into design principles. And then really, if you read these guys in the modern age, um, they may have been way too optimistic about modernism. And we, of course, we live in a kind of a postmodernistic expression. But if you read their work, there was so much optimism about making order from chaos. And I would say that's a lot of those modern thinkers have a huge influence on me. And I almost became entrapped into the postmodern cynicism coming out of the 90s and, and early aughts. But I think I avoided it. And I really maybe not idealistic like the modernists, but the fact that we strive for the ideal and we try to express that and partner with those engineering design principles to get some of that scientific rigor with our work. That's where I see the real powerful things happening in design. So I'm really comfortable sketching working through the chaos. Don't worry, we'll get it all out there. That's what I love about the design sprint. That's what I love about, you know, post-it notes and getting up on the board and the double diamond effect of expansion, narrowing down, expansion, narrowing down and refocusing and having a couple options to consider at once. Uh, I love that process. It makes a lot of engineers uncomfortable because they don't know where they're going with it. And I think for designers, it's like, we don't know either. Isn't this fun? <laughs> They're like, no, you know, we're like Mr. Toad's wild ride. And we're in the gypsy cart, just traveling down the road at a hundred miles an hour. And the engineer is like, I just need to know the requirements, man. You know, what are you doing? It's like, we'll get there. Um, so, so, so those are some yeah. influences. I was going to ask you, so um, how long exactly have you been doing design sprints now? I think I started doing design sprints, uh, Jake Knapp's uh, classic. Formula, classic formulation. Um, I think I started it shortly after his book came out. What was that, 2015? Okay. Yeah, that right? so a few yeah. years, at least a couple yeah, of years. A few years. So what, what has changed since the beginning, the, the classic uh, GV method and now? And how would you describe the practical state of design sprints? What's practical? What do you use uh, today? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for me, the design thinking workshops and all that were great. They couldn't scale up to a lot of enterprise level stuff. You'd fly people in from all over the country. If you work in a global enterprise, I did for Thomson Reuters for a couple of years. Great experience. Loved, loved working with Thomson Reuters. Just a great bunch of people. What I was seeing is that you know you, you get a, a lot of enthusiasm for design. UX was big, so you could get money for it, but then the budgets would have to constrain. Suddenly, you weren't going to be able to fly all these people in. Um, working virtually, you know, like Robert Scrobe is doing so much now and testing out some of that. Um, how do you do work, visual work virtually? How can you make these smaller? So I, when I saw, read Jake Knapp's book, I had begun doing things differently in my workshops to get some of that visual thinking out there and piecemealing ingredients from those workshops I thought would work and it, it was going okay. But when I, when I read Jake's book, you know, lights just turned on. Oh, this is great. Uh, but like so many of us, it's so easy to fall into this trap that this is really a system. It's not a system. It's, it's, it's a technique. Um, and I think when you get into situations where you have to be flexible and you maybe have to make a one week sprint, a two day sprint, or 
you have to divide the one-week sprint across a month because you have business stakeholders that you really have to present some of these ideas to before you encourage your group to go even further with a big disappointment because you haven't been able to cross-check with your, your, your stakeholders. You have to be flexible. So for practically for me, the things that have stuck are the principles, um, tangible work, uh, um, working together alone. Um, Jake doesn't really emphasize the visual side of the process. You know, he, he says things like words matter and they do. And I appreciate that a lot. I'm more of a stickler though, for the visual expression of that because it forces us to edit our ideas down and um, get something a little bit more tangible than words. You know, you get some of these guys down and they get lazy when they start writing down words you know, and they think they're writing a nice outline and they're scribbling words down, bad handwriting. Like, you know, I'm really not getting any from this, but if I can force him to do an ugly screen on the whiteboard, he's going to be talking out loud while he's doing it. And I can record those notes and I can listen really well and I can map it out. So for me, tangible, which often means visual, working together alone, uh, creativity like AJ and Smart would say is overrated. I get a lot of flack from using that term. What do you mean creativity is overrated? And uh, read, I think, Rand Siegel's interesting comment about that the other day. And he likes to say that, you know, a bad idea is better than a good idea or better than no idea, not better than a good idea. And this idea that if we create something tangible, even if it's a bad idea and it doesn't feel creative, we can layer creativity into that through iteration and applied hard work. So, you know, that creativity is overrated. Principle is important to me. You know, let's just get it out there. Let's test it and let's build on it. You know, and I'll go into meetings with clients sometimes with a really knowing that I don't have enough requirements, which of course makes the engineers nervous. And I know that my idea is going to not do well. And I prepare the conversation for that. I'm like, hey, guys, I have a really bad idea here. Um, but I think we can kind of use this as a straw man and rip it apart. And they do. And from that experience, I've learned more about what I need to do to flesh out my my design. So for me, those are the principles that are really, I think, more than the process have stuck for me. So I, I tend to be very flexible when I get, hey, we can't give you five days. You know, we can give you four or three. Okay, let's we'll see what we can do. And there's times where it breaks. It's like, you guys, we just can't do this like you're expecting. And you have to know what that means when you can when you have to say no. Mm-hmm. So I I have a question. Um, I always have been wondering, Alexi nineteen. Tell us how you came about nineteen and okay, Alexi well, nineteen. Tell tell us the significance about that. And um, I'm also interested to hear you and you could share it with our listeners as well. Um, one of the things from our experience together, working together, and with Lee. Um, you didn't strike me as somebody that was trying to push coaching or, um, I'm going to come in and I'm going to train you or whatever. You're more a practitioner and hearing you speak just now about how you leverage the tools and you look at them as really fungible tools that you can use and apply in different means. The next question would be first, tell us about Alexi 19 and how you came to that brand and that name. And then tell us a little bit about commercially, about yourself and your team, the type of work that you're doing, um, and how you differentiate yourselves from other um, competitors out there. Great. Yeah, thanks for your question. Um, 
19 is a very personal number. You know, you often see people give themselves a name, like, you know, whether it's 42 or, you know, something like that, you know. Um, for me, 19 has like three significant meanings and no one has, else has to know what it means. Um, I like the sound of A19. It kind of works. Uh, but the number does have some personal meanings to me. Uh, one, uh, the 19th was my grandfather's birthday. Um, and you see that little hard hat right there, AMG. Uh, that was Alexi Monaghan and Gaylord. That was his sheet metal company that he started. And um, I always look up to my grandfather having a business, being a businessman, being the son of immigrants, uh, grew up in New York City, got a really good education in the New York City school system. And uh, when you talk to him, he didn't speak English until he was five when he went to kindergarten. He spoke German at home. But when you talk to him, you would never have a inkling that that's how he grew up. He had this way of sounding that to me reminded me of like Franklin Roosevelt, you know, this had a gravity, had a clarity. Uh, I always admired that. And so that 19 one is, is part of his birthday. I recently um, brought on a business partner, uh, Matt Hoy. He's an engineer uh, deep into artificial intelligence and uh, real and truly a full stack developer and has a lot of business sense as well. And we actually finalized our partnership on the 19th of September. So 919, it was not intentional, um, but it was really cool. It was, it was a cool thing. And that was just kind of accidental. Like, oh, it's kind of funny how that stuff works out. And then on a more personal note, uh, just to bring religion into it, you know, I'm Catholic and Mary is mentioned in the new Testament 19 times. So it's, not that I believe there's anything magical about it, but, you know, I do have I, one things about Western culture that um, I think we we struggle with so much. And we see now in the Me Too moment and all that is how masculine we are. And I don't say that there's anything wrong with that. I absolutely don't believe there's anything wrong with masculinity or anything like that. But we need these reminders of the feminine approach in life. And so for Alexi 19 kind of strikes to me, part of that design note when we talk about philosophy is that we bring that openness and that invitation to people. And that, like, here comes everybody uh, idea of we can do this together. Uh, and that idea of bringing that feminine aspect into our work is important to me. So that's kind of a religious and it may seem transgentle, but I do keep that remind myself every day of that and and I wear this uh, in the Catholic faith. We you know we have scapulars. We have all these kind of crazy things that people believe are weird. But um, this is just a, a scapular. Reminds me of Mary, and I and I wear this every day, and it helps me. And I literally think about that in my design work. What does it mean to have gone awry with some of our technology, and how can we bring this humanness back into it? And what can we learn from the feminine side of life to our approach. And that means to me, openness, invitational, being humble. Uh, as you know, when you're in a design sprint and you have a decider and um, it's tempting to ride in with an ego and showcase your skills as being a person who's going to kind of save the day with your amazing creativity. Um, you can, you can ride that horse for a little while and, and probably do some things with it, but how much better is it when you are, bringing a group of people along and i guess this gets into the next part of the question the, the pragmatic side of it or the um what does it work to practice this 
when I'm at the whiteboard and I'm handing somebody and inviting them to the whiteboard to express their ideas and I'm encouraging that and it is not an execution always that is great work. You know, it might be an ugly sketch, but it's communicating something that this person has been thinking about for a long time. It might be an engineer on the front lines who's had a million ideas he's never been listened to. You know, this problem that might be holding up this whole experience could be a simple login problem. You know, like we cannot execute this whole application until we figure out this huge login issue that we've had that's 15 years old. And here an engineer has a chance to walk to the whiteboard, express his potential solution, and then be heard and maybe integrate that into the plan. And I have nothing to do with it except calming the space down enough to give his voice room to open up. To me, that's that's what I really love about design. And to me, that that brings in the humanness of it. And that word, that letter 19, goes into all that. It goes into being adventurous. It goes into being open and humble. Um, and the other interesting thing is that chromosome 19 uh, is the chromosome that controls eye color and hair color and all those appearance level things that we have but the lack of chromosome 19 leads to some very critical diseases uh you know like even type 1 diabetes uh there's um things that are just horrible diseases because it's lacking chromosome 19 so that's that's interesting to me too that we can kind of see that designs often the face first look of something but we as designers really know it's about how something works, how well does it integrate, what does it prioritize, what's the emphasis on. And if you're not thinking about that, none of it's going to work well. It's not going to look right. There's going to be some serious flaws in the system that might be invisible. And so it goes into that as well. Yeah, that's that's great. Let me ask you um, something a little bit different. You have been really, really successful in fact, I think you are a model citizen for, uh, is it called the Level Up program with AJ and Smart? Is that correct? Yes. Oh, level yeah, Up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a great program. So you are, um, you are a model facilitator, a model practice, model agency. But tell us about a problem you haven't been able to solve, something that still is problematic for you. So this is something we're working on right now. And how frustrating as designers is it? when we work hard on something we know an idea is viable and it doesn't go anywhere you throw it over the wall you hand it off to the company you know it's gonna be something good for them they just can't either get the talent or the momentum to keep carrying it forward and the sprint especially when it's a consultant like us coming in and helping them work out those ideas once we leave we often leave and we can't really nurture that thing any further and I think, Lee, I think in an earlier podcast, you mentioned how fragile ideas are. Um, and you're working in IBM, and, and I'm sure you've seen those challenges even within the company. But one of the advantages of being there is you can kind of, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that one of the advantages of being there is that you can kind of press the right things and hold the tone and toe the line. As a consultant, it's really hard to see some of those things through fruition. And a lot of designers, and AJ and Smart is one of them, is like, you know, we don't really want to mess with that. We, uh, at, at a point in every design, work becomes a hard scramble. The design sprint's nice because it's a package, it's a system, it's easy to sell. 
and the work is profoundly influential. I also want to be in the space that helps produce the idea and bridges the gap between the design and the production of the work. Uh, so one of the problems that we're trying to solve right now is how can we provide an experience that transitions the design work into the production work? We not, may not be there for the whole production, but we want to help you transition this work into the design work. Now, we see books now like After the Sprint. I haven't actually read that. I'm curious to, to hear what they have to say. I've, I've read some blog posts on it. Um, I definitely have my own opinions on it. I guess that's why I haven't read it yet. I'm trying to find my own ideas on it. Um, and we see a lot of questions like that coming out of the AJ and Smart Master class. Like, what do I do after the sprint? Um, and what if I had this client who they might have two or three big sprint questions, but that's it, you know? And for those of us who work very regionally, like I'm in Fort Worth. Yeah, we have a big market in Dallas, but um, it's not like LA. It's not like Berlin. It's not like New York City. We don't have talent pulling out of windows like potted plots, pots you know? It's potted plants. I mean, it's, we have to draw in our resources that are usually pretty spread out, you know, and I would like to bring a community of Fort Worth talent together. And I'm working toward that. Um, but we don't necessarily have the opportunity to say we're just design sprint people. You know, usually the phone call comes in, uh, we need wireframes. You know, you have this great look with this designed website for desktop, but it looks terrible on mobile. Can you do some mobile wireframes? Uh, we heard you do UX, which, you know, equals wireframes to a lot of people. Um, we always take them stuck back. We, we begin the design sprint conversation from there. Uh, but that often means that they really want us for production level work. So we are working really hard right now on creating a workflow engine that we can apply towards the multiple different products. And whether that's, um, ticketing for uh, theaters and um, events or managing paperwork flows for um, financial uh, companies who still have to wrestle with a lot of, of uh, technology hurdles. Uh, sometimes they still have to fax their insurance paperwork and what can you do that? So that's a challenge that we haven't solved yet. And I think that's a big one. And I think it's a huge opportunity because once you sell, we've been on a few um projects where you know we may have sold a forty thousand dollar design sprint and we've been able to bring the talent on to help execute the front end web development and some of the uh, back end work and suddenly that forty thousand dollar project has become a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar project i think it's a real opportunity the um a lot of people don't want to step into that area because it's uh, it's messy you know, it's not quite as systematized as you like, and you're doing it for a bunch of companies who have their own contextual issues. Um, this is where Agile often gets it wrong nowadays. It's like, you know, we need a company who's going to do Agile. No company does Agile right. I've never been in one that does it just like Agile because every company has its own problems. You know, every company you've been to is like, oh, yeah, we do Agile, but it's more scrum fall. You know, this. as a consultant, you never know what you're going to step into. You can't make them fit your way of working. So you have to be as flexible as possible and have a good line of communication and realize you're just going to have to work hard sometimes and apply your deep experience to bring the solutions that they need with patience and humility. So transitioning from the design sprint to the production flow, I don't think has really been solved all that well yet, especially from the consultant point of view. 
Let me ask you, um, you were talking about some of, just very generally about some of your experiences uh, on the client side, um, dealing either with a design sprint or thinking about how you could have some pull through engagements or some work off the back end of it, helping them execute any of the planning and execution that comes after the sprint. Were there any instances that come to mind um, Maybe you receive some negative feedback or maybe you would even just chalk it up and say, you know what, I'll call a spade a spade and it's a it's a failure of some sorts where you receive some feedback or input. Um, can you can you tell us like one that sticks out there that stings a little bit now and how you responded to that or maybe the lessons learned and what you did and how you pivoted from that? And anything yeah, you want to share with people? Yeah, I have a couple. Um one that was, I had to work on very personally is, you know, kind of this idea of walking in with some humility and not being the, uh, the white knight there to save the day. Um, I would often have, uh, be hired sometimes subcontracting out to a, uh, a consultancy, a dev consultancy who just needed to kickstart a project that they've been stalling. And I really would walk in with a quiet tone and, um, try to engender conversation and, not walking with like the McKinsey like fanfare of you know remote stations set up and you know as soon as you walk in you're impressed and you know have all the materials out everything be nice and be hospitable but I, I just wouldn't carry that kind of expression out very far and I thought I was doing a service to the group and um, what I had the feedback I'd gotten was you're coming across as really like you're lacking confidence. In, in these workshops and um, uh, you're moving too quickly uh, through the explanation. You know, it's like in that whole idea of I learn by doing and I like to get people into the doing process as quickly as possible. So the other bit of that feedback, same workshop was I did a, a really bad job um, making people comfortable with the sprints um, because of my own lack of um, forwardness or whatever uh that kind of i i thought i was being open i was being i was expressing inconfidence um rushing people through the explanation and getting them into the work was making them very uncomfortable um you know you're asking people to sketch visually they're they're nervous about sketching and you just kind of like trust me you're going to get into it and they would they would get into it i had to learn though to take a step back and to slow down and to really um, say the what, the why, and the how before doing the how. That's just not how I work. You know, I, if I want to learn something, I'm going to dive right into it. I'm going to get the book. I'm going to dive into the same time, and I'm going to do it. I had, to, I had to pace myself. It's called a sprint. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I thought we we're sprinting. You know, I guess I have to slow down. I had to learn how to do that. And I'm, and I'm still learning to do that, and I've improved a little. Um, but I think it would, I don't think I'd have such a hard time reselling the sprint to some of these early customers, even though we had great outcomes in, in those events, if I had created a better experience for them by being more energetic and being comfortable with that sort of uh, mysticism that a designer can bring to the table. You know, the magic and the mystery is like, oh, here comes the designer. You know, I've never been comfortable with that label, but. You know, here comes the guy in the in the colored lenses and the the purple jacket and the and the tennis shoes and 
crazy haircut and he's just amazing. And everyone knows as a designer as soon as they look at him, you know, yes. I guess I have to start infusing that yes. a little bit more. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that, uh, one big disappointment was where, uh, we had to be frank with a company and, um, we tried to go through all the right channels. We were, this is again, bridging from the design to the production level. And we saw ways of working that were opening them up to a lot of vulnerabilities, uh, security with their security, with, um, scaling issues, uh, when they really decided to go live with this product. Um, and as we tried to express these issues, we just kept meeting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock until eventually they just dismissed us from the project. Um, I think rather than going through that pain of maybe, um, I think I extended that conversation too long. And I think we should have been the first ones to exit the relationship uh, and be, and say, thank you. Uh, this has been a great time. Um, we, we just don't think we can carry forward. You know, we, we raised the issue. We, we had to learn where that line was drawn and not be so persistent and pushing it. And I think we opened up a political can of worms because we kept the issues were important. But we should have let their problems remain their problems and not taking them on so responsibly. Responsibly isn't the right word. Maybe um, we shouldn't have, but we shouldn't have taken on the responsibility of fixing those issues, raise them, convey them, and then exit if we had to. Because it turned out that the relationship wasn't going to work. You know, so we should have been the first one to leave. We wasted a lot of time on that. You seem like a, that's really, it's really interesting. Um, and you seem like a person that likes to constantly learn and challenge themselves. Um, if you were to go back to school today, what would you study? What would you be interested in? And also, uh, when you're in the shower, what type of shower ideas? Not that we need to know, uh, <laughs> anything personal there, but, um, what type of shower ideas, what big ideas do you have in general when you're, you allow yourself to kind of dream, be creative? Yeah. Um, what would I learn in college? One is that whatever interest I brought into college that I thought I couldn't carry forward into my career, I would have kept throughout college and find ways of incorporating my interests. You know, there's, College is full of finding your major, dropping it, picking up new courses and all that. Um, I think I would have, I think I would have pursued animation with my uh, design background and, and just found a way to maintain that. Um, I still illustrate for fun and pick up projects in there because I really enjoy it. And as I discovered more about myself with a willingness to code and um, production, I don't know that I would have found the perfect experience for me, but um, I think it's important to keep yourself and your interests in all the work that you do. And I don't think I would have, I think I would have come to a more comfortable, the more comfortable place I am now way back then had I done that, you know, I wouldn't have been like putting all this stuff on the back burner, you know? Um, Really, what got kicked me off in this direction was a profound thing my dad said to me. Um, 
I, like I said, I have type one diabetes. We have a large family and, um, our, we had another, we have a child with type one diabetes and then another child of ours got diagnosed with type one diabetes a few years ago. It really kicks the wind out of your sails and diabetes is not running my family. Something happens. I'm just a lucky one giving it to my children. And, um, so there's three people in our large family with type one diabetes I had a good job. And, um, Working with uh, Thomson Reuters, loved it, absolutely loved it. But there was opportunities opening up for me with design sprints and things like that, ways of working. It's kind of like a you know idea of you're becoming the master now, so you're going to challenge your master, and you, you're going to step out on your own because you have your own ideas. I was in that space, but I was paralyzed. And um, my dad and mom, who are in New York, uh, they came down to help out after the diagnosis and they were here for a little while. And my, just a day or two before my dad left, he said, Bill, there's only one thing I really want for you. And I was just like, Oh, great. Here we go. I don't need one more thing. I took that big breath and I didn't want to convey like how irritated I was at about to receive advice. And my dad, I love my dad. We get in great conversations, um, turn to him all the time. I just was not ready for it. I did this inhale. I was like, yeah, dad. And he's like, I just want you to be adventurous. That was exactly the kick I needed. And when he said that, I felt despite having this really challenging moment in our lives, I felt enabled because it like permission to do what I wanted to do, even in the most challenging moment, rather than retreating back into our shells and let's play it safe for a while. My dad said, be adventurous. And I talked to my wife, Shannon, and these opportunities were presenting themselves almost without trying. And I said, Shannon, you know, I am feeling that call to be adventurous and I would really like to move forward on this. And she said to me, I would like for you to also, I want to make sure that ABC fall in order first. But fair or fair ask. And don't you know, those things, without me even trying, just <sighs> fell right into place um, in, a, in an almost magical way. I do believe that there are moments when you make a decision and things just kind of work out for you. So in college, I, I wish that I was more comfortable with being myself and not being such a... Uh, anxious guy and I was anxious about having a good career, making money, being able to take care of my disease, you know, just like go all in. Um, so when I hear like whether it's in a level up or in the master class, like how do I sell sprints or how do I start a business? It's like, man, if you're feeling the call and you're serious about it, just do it and roll with it and change as you have to. Uh, nothing's guaranteed. Your security isn't guaranteed. Your adventurous attitude isn't guaranteed. So you might as well just have fun and go for the adventure. And you're going to meet people who just are not wired to be adventurous and to take that step out. But they'll want to work for somebody who's adventurous. And they're going to be very talented people. Give them a place to work with you and protect them. Give them a good place. So that's it goes to the next step. Like when I'm having those shower ideas, and what's my big idea and what do I really see? I kind of wanted to get your guys input on this too. Um, when you're from a really regional area, 
and you know a few people who are really strong talent, you wish that there were more opportunities for this great design. I want to make Fort Worth, Texas, a really cultural touchstone here for, for sound design and processes. And I am bringing those people in and keeping those connections. And I'm hoping to expand that into Dallas. The Dallas-Fort Worth area is kind of known for user experience because we have Sabre here and Brian Sullivan has done a great job building up a UX community. But we're also very pragmatic here. And I think it does come from a lot of those cowboy values. Um, they're very real here. There's a lot of DIY attitude. There's a lot of pragmatism. Um, there's a lot of like, we're just going to get it done. But there can be a lack of sophistication when it comes to design values and design culture. And I'd like to show what that can con contribute so that when we see an area, um, we're feeling it's humanness. If you go to Dallas, you can kind of see why everything's kind of covered in concrete. It's like a big urban mushroom. Uh, it's, there's not much to the landscape there, so they've, they've fabricated a lot of it. But what is it that's special here about Texas that we can kind of grow on regionally? And what kind of talent are we nurturing regionally? What happens in high schools? What kind of college are we launching them into? We have UNT, which has a decent program. TCU, which is a good college, but very expensive. Um, and we have a lot of kids here in high schools with Adobe CC licenses because Adobe is quick to bring up kids in their programs, learning knowledge, technical knowledge, but not design thinking and that kind of stuff. I would, my big dream is to really kind of foster that institutions with that sensibility here in Fort Worth. And I think it starts with keeping this network together on a regional level. So speaking of community and speaking of network, um, are there a few people that you'd like to give a shout out to um, that have helped you? I know you mentioned your dad, you mentioned the folks at AJ Smart, AJ and Smart. Um, are there anybody else, uh, any people that you'd like to just uh, recognize while you have the time? Um, and can you explain to them their impact or how they influenced you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, on, on a very personal level, um, the whole community has come behind me. Uh, and I mean that. Um, so uh, Robert Scrobe is great. I mean, if, if you guys have worked with him in the Global Virtual Design Sprint, this whole idea of working collaboratively across geographic lines, that is the computer revolution. This is the next big step in technology, and we're almost there. We're at that threshold. It's one of the reasons why it's so exciting to be a designer right now. He brought us together. Um, that's been fantastic. And I would recommend anyone to get with Robert on this if they haven't participated in an event like this or do this kind of collaboration across geography. Uh, you'll see where the technology is meeting its limits and some of the challenges, especially when you're mixing physical place with this virtual learning. Um, it's a great way to, to feel the challenges and to meet new people and to work out your skills in a really safe way. Robert Scrobe is one of those people. Um, Jonathan Courtney at AJ and Smart um, was a big personal help to me uh, during my challenges in the early days of starting up my business. Um, a lot of a lot of encouragement there uh, and personal encouragement. It was really great. Um, 
Christine Amazumi. She works for Facebook right now. Uh, she was my manager at um, Thomson Reuters. Uh, just the personality and the way that she brought workshops into the way of working at Thomson Reuters was eye-opening to me. Uh, I, I saw it as part of the design culture, and she did that. Uh, user testing, um, workshopping, all that. It can be done. She really opened my eyes to that. Um, Ron LaBuzz, uh, the dean, when I was at uh, Munson Williams, just an amazing intellect, written books on design. Um, I would say as well as uh, um, those people, I would say, you know, my dad has brought into my life a lot of philosophy. Uh, so he's given me books galore to read on philosophy and I've read so many of them and it's really opened up my eyes to what it means to be human and these human principles of design. And it, I'm, I'm not a humanist, a, a technically a humanist, though I appreciate a lot of those humanistic ideas. And I would say one of those designers who brings a lot of those humanistic ideals um, would be Bill Buxton, you know, and he's still energetic. Uh, he really got his start in the early days of computers. Uh, he was a musician who tried to synthesize music in the early days. And now he's a, a fellow with Microsoft and his books on design. If you want to learn about the challenges of collaboration, the potential of collaboration, his book on sketching the user experience is just amazing. And his Twitter feed just blows up with insights and his YouTube videos, man, I can just watch those for hours at a time. Uh, he really brings those principles of humanity into design and what it means. And then challenges the simple idea of bringing technology on as a token and saying, we've done this great thing. Isn't it amazing? You know, what makes an iWatch an iWatch? What, what makes it not important? You know, why is, why could it be important? You know, why, what are these choices? Do we need to say no to what principles do we apply to make them say yes to these, these advancements? What responsibilities designers do we have to limit some of this production, you know, flooding the environment and humanity with distractions and noise? I can't tell you how many times I've applied those principles in workshops where it starts. We really want to gamify the experience and the sprint. We're able to say, you sure you want to gamify this? And um, had a really amazing opportunity with that with um, one of the country's largest uh, health ma manufacturers in Chicago. And they wanted to gamify an experience. And they made a product for dealing with adult diapers. And uh, what they didn't want to gamify the diaper, but the um, care facility caretakers are putting patients in the wrong size diapers. The easy diapers are the large diapers. A misfit diaper causes health issues, compression sores, bed wet, wet wetting, which attacks the, the dignity of the person. They really wanted to get a handle on addressing these issues. And they thought that maybe gamifying the experience um, for the caretakers would encourage the, uh, the right treatment of these patients. Through the design sprint, we were able to take it back a level. We were able to get them to ask the right questions. And from there, they developed a whole new service that challenged the company's revenue in order to get these patients in the right, right size diaper. You know, so, and I would say those are definitely direct applications of these books of philosophy that my dad's given me and some of Bill Buxton's design principles that he says we should apply when we're working. Okay. 
I think this is my final question for me. This is my final question for you um, from me. What's the best compliment you've received recently? And then um, I want to make sure we get to where people can find you. So what's the best compliment you received recently? As far as my work goes, it's we love your process. You know, and I, I think a lot of designers get into the mistake of selling design sprints. It's like you, you sell yourself as a designer and then give them that experience. You know, they want to see your work. They want to see your output. Um, when I'm able to bring design workshop ways of working it, whether it's a simple thing or a more protracted event, uh, I love your process. And then they suddenly realize that they can apply the process to their own way of working. Uh, I love that compliment. Um, what about I think uh, awesome, awesome beard? Yeah, I, I get that a lot. You know, I bring it out every Halloween, you know, like going door to door, like, oh, I love your beard. Like, yeah, bring it out every Halloween. <laughs> Thanks. You know, as I lose hair from the top of my head, it all kind of grows out this way. That's good. Um, and I would say, I love it when I get compliments about the kids. You know, we have, we just had our seventh child uh, a few months ago. So, you know, you get all the crazy questions about, you know, how that happens, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know, are you planning on stopping? Like, does this look like a plan to you? Um, but when they compliment the kids for being polite and um, making eye contact and those kind of things bring joy to a parent's heart because a lot of it's not really hard taught. It's just seeing your children become themselves and succeeding. Um, Parent-teacher conferences where they tell us about how great our oldest is doing in school and attentive and learning and being a leader and you're shocked because he's not that way at home <laughs> you're like turning around and you're like giving your kid a high five and you're like well, that's amazing those are those are the compliments i really really enjoy those are the ones that are the most meaningful you gotta uh, we gotta we gotta unmute ourselves we'll jointly unmute ourselves dave unmute so where can people find you? Uh, they can email me, um, bill at alexi19.com. That's A-L-E-X-Y-1-9.com. LinkedIn, um, mm -hmm. forward slash Bill Alexi. I think I was the first one to grab that LinkedIn profile. So mm -hmm. not a lot of Lexis in the world named Bill. Mm -hmm. uh, that's always a good way. Um, I, I don't really have a website out kind of following the AJ and Smart idea like until i'm at that level mm -hmm. i don't market too heavily right now I'm just working a lot of personal network simulationships so mm -hmm. we have a really lame website which you shouldn't even bother with you know i was i was looking at some of the highlighting work that you did in on medium and i look forward to i thought it was interesting and i know we're at time here it was an interesting way everybody's so focused on crafting uh, some content, a paragraph or a few paragraphs and throwing it out there. I really thought it was a unique way of highlighting, leveraging, and being time efficient and getting some good salient points out there. And uh, I look forward to following or seeing some more highlights from you. I've always appreciated your input and your take and your thoughtfulness. And I will say one thing, another compliment that stood out for me to you in working with you with Lee was it's so easy for people to get so focused, especially when you're running an agency 
And maybe this speaks to who you are and some of those Catholic ideals or some of those ideals that you have as a person or your upbringing. But I was thoroughly impressed by your dedication and finding time to um, an excess capacity to help on a volunteer um, opportunity to help um, provide a better experience or an idea for a company that was out there or an organization that was out there responding to people. And I have seen a lot of pockets of people that turn that type of work away for one reason or another. No, you know, not saying anything bad or good about that, but it does say a lot about a person that is carving out time to volunteer to help make things better. So thank you for their contribution in that. Um, and thank you for your thoughtfulness in general. And uh, thank you for being so sweet. Yeah, well, thanks, David. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think in America, we've too often made design about seducing people into a product. And I get really annoyed by that being the only application of it. And I think as designers, we need to think more in terms of the social good. Uh, and what can we do? Um, and that's why I don't do a lot of advertising work. I went to school for advertising and design. I just don't want to do one more piece of work that I don't believe in or design something. It's just meant to seduce somebody into some material BS that we know is just a, a sale. So applying ourselves to meaningful work and how, like the Miracle League, how can things be more important. And that one story we heard about a lady who had to make a choice between her losing her husband by abandoning him or protecting their child to take it to safety. I mean, does it get any more important than that? And these are the kind of stories you can open yourself up to as a designer. These are the kind of things that you can help with. Um, so yeah, thank you. And I do think it does goes a lot with our values. And I think a lot of us, are born with these values, but then we kind of become anxious about pursuing our worldly success and our financial success and forget, you know what? You can't keep it there. You, you gotta, you gotta make it meaningful. And if we're designers at this level, it's because we have talent and we have care and um, a responsibility to use that for the world larger than ourselves. Thank you. And on behalf of the experiences of Insight Team, you know, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for, as I said, yeah. in joking, being sweet, but I do mean that sincerely. Thank you for being sweet and kind. And um, please keep doing great things and um, please keep in touch. And I look forward, I think both Lee and I look forward to seeing you face to face and having a more in-depth conversation with you. We look forward to that time happening very soon. Yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah. One last name, Jim Dance. In Cortland, New York, uh, he was the guy who brought me around, and I still stay in touch with him. And uh, he does a business consulting service, and uh, he has offered me some great advice. So, thanks, cool. guys. Cool. Love you, and uh, it's been great hanging out. So, let's get together for that beer soon. Sounds good, my man. All right. See you thanks. later. Bye bye. Cut. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you continue to follow our episodes in the future. Have a nice day.